I, Butch Smith, who's built trails in Austin for 30 years, he's walked that land before there was a trail there and kind of looked at the trees and looked at the water and said, okay, right. I think we should move the trail this way and then have it go this way. And all of that. That's what I love the most about Violet Crown Trail is walking on it today. A person would think that trail has always been there. This trail yeah. has always been here. It just looks like it was birthed out of the earth. But in fact, it took a lot of design and a lot of engineers wow. and about 15 years of <laughs> working with the and the different jurisdictions, TxDOT, Sunset Valley, different departments within the city, Parks and Rec, uh, Public Works, for everybody to come together and connect all the different sections of trails, build mm -hmm. it. And now it yeah. does flow as if it was always there. Welcome to Everyday Superhumans, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. I'm Charlie. And I'm Kyle. And it is hot. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're recording this in the middle of August. Perfect time to go for a hike. <laughs> so it was around 4.30 when I was walking outside. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the peak hotness of the day. Yeah, but... Uh, did you know that there are plenty of shaded trails here in Austin you could go hike on, Charlie? <laughs> well, yes, I did, actually. <laughs> We're such dorks. Okay. <laughs> today, I guess I'll just say it. Today, we are talking to the Hill Country Conservancy, which you found on one of your many uh, well-shaded hikes. Uh, yes. Along which trail, Charlie? The Violet Crown Trail. That is correct. Yes, I've been biking a lot lately, and when I was biking, I kept on seeing signs saying HCC, and I thought, what is with this HCC? Mm -hmm. wonder if it's a nonprofit. So guess what? I looked it up, and it is a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Yep, it stands for Hill Country Conservancy. Mm -hmm. That's correct. They are a... Nonprofit that's been around here for 20 years, uh, since 1999, so actually 21 years now. They are dedicated towards conserving the natural beauty of the hill country here in the Austin area because people love Austin. It's a great city, and I and I strongly believe that. But also, a lot of people uh, want to move here, which uh, will mean more land being developed. And in turn, that means more the natural wildlife is disappearing. And that's where the Hill Country Conservancy helps step in. They do things like environmental easements where they buy up uh, swaths of land on somebody's property and they pretty much say, you cannot build on this piece of land. It might be yours technically and you're allowed to do whatever you can do on it, but you cannot erect any kind of buildings or suburbs on this. That is for us to decide. And they, in turn, that offers monetary benefits to those who set the easements to them and also maintains our ecosystems, and also water quality in the area. Right. It maintains native wildlife habitat, too. And you could also go back and listen to our wildlife rescue episode, which kind of ties into this one in terms of that they're mm -hmm. trying to protect the natural wildlife in the area despite all the development. We talked with Adrienne Longnector. She is the chief operating officer and director of development. And she actually has a couple dogs from Austin Pets Alive. 
So talk about a full cycle of nonprofit connections. They just and, keep on connecting. The right. Avengers. Right. And she also said that she had worked with Austin Pets Alive too and other different nonprofits in the community. Mm-hmm. So when you start working for a nonprofit in Austin, you it's um, contagious. It's a good agent. <laughs> you just keep going. Mm-hmm. Like this intro will keep on going too, since we have a lot to say about nature and how awesome the Hill Country Conservancy is. But we should let Adrian do the speaking for herself. Probably. I'm really excited for this conversation. I'm Adrian Longenecker. I am the COO of Hill Country Conservancy. Hill Country Conservancy has been around for about 20 years. And about 20 years ago in Austin, there was this huge war between the local businesses and the commercial developers and the residential developers. And they were on one side of the war and on the other side of the war, like the hippie environmentalists, (laughs) Barton Springs pool lovers. Yeah. And they were in this big war. And back then, uh, Kirk Watson was mayor and he Mm. called a conference and invited the development community, the business owners and the environmentalists. And he said, all right, y'all are figure it out. You're gonna figure out how to work together for the betterment of Austin and go. And right there on the spot, they were like, well, we're gonna create this great nonprofit that's gonna work to make sure that we protect the quality of life that Austin is known for. And that's Hill Conservancy. That's from what we are born. We are born from this inherent divergence and values between or, or perceived divergence and values between the business community and the environmentalists when in fact we all truly are uh, fighting for the same thing and that is this amazing quality of life in Austin that many of us but not all of us get to enjoy um, and since then so since that 20 year ago founding we have now grown into a regional leader so we uh, work in six counties outside of Travis County and we protect vital natural resources through conservation and collaboration and community engagement. One of the big ways we've done that here in Austin is by building the Violet Crown Trail, which stretches from Zilker Park all the way down to the Wildflower Center. Mm-hmm. And every day we're just working to find you know, innovative solutions and ideas to make sure we can continue to preserve this unmatched quality of life and preserve the basic needs of clean air and fresh water and um, access to nature that we all love being here in Austin. Like you said, right? Like when you first came to Austin, I think it was, was it Charlie that was saying that mm-hmm. we're like, wait a second, it's green and there are yeah. hills <laughs> and water. Is it Texas? Yeah. I love the Violet Crown Trail. It's my favorite trail actually in Austin. I usually bike there. Well, when it's cooler and I kept on seeing, <laughs> signs for HCC and I thought wait a second is this a nonprofit? and then I researched more and, and thought wow this would be a really great topic to talk about yeah it came full circle well and so then just as an aside since you heard my dogs barking earlier you asked what I do and, and a big part of what I do for HCC is fundraise and that's what I've done for many iconic Austin organizations including Austin Alive, which is where oh. my donkeys come from. Yeah, I've got we interviewed them a long time ago. Yeah, we have an episode with them. Yeah. yeah, good episode. I can be able to check it out. How did you personally get involved with the Hill Country Conservancy? Well, I was uh, recruited. Uh, I'm 
I've known George though for a long time. George Cofer is the main director for the okay. Country Conservancy. So 20 years ago, you know, it was then Mayor Kirk Watson and a bunch of other business leaders that all sort of pointed at George. He's a well-known environmentalist in Austin. So yeah, I personally got involved a long time ago. I went to Hill Country Conservancy's annual gala, and it was a lot of fun. And I believe in the importance of our natural environment here in Austin. It's so unique. And then, you know, I just have known George for so many years, and I thought it would be really fun to work for him. So when the, their headhunter kind of knocked on my door to say they were hiring for a COO, I thought, well, that would be a lot of fun to get to work with George. And I had worked for these other great organizations across Austin, including Austin Pets Alive, the Food mm -hmm. Bank, Thinkery, the Children's Museum, but I hadn't had the chance to work in the environmental sector. So mm -hmm. I jumped at it. So your your life here, I guess, back in Austin has always been like helping out the community then? That's true. When I came back to Austin, I uh, came back specifically to work in the nonprofit sector. I had been working in Dallas in the architecture, engineering, and construction field doing business mm -hmm. development. I had previously done fundraising for a ballet theater in Roanoke, Virginia. And so I knew fundraising and I knew business development. And I thought the combination of those skills could really play well for some of Austin's more sophisticated nonprofits. So when I decided to come back home, because just between us, I realized I was in Texas, but not in Austin. And I thought, well, that just doesn't feel right. So <laughs> I scurried down I-35 from Dallas and moved back home. And I've been working for nonprofits ever since. I so, would love uh, to work for a nonprofit. Yeah. You know, if I didn't have to make sure that my mortgage payment wasn't late. I, I hear you. And that is, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's been fascinating. So I've been back in Austin about 20 years. So I've been working in the okay. nonprofit sector in Austin for 20 years, and I've always had a paid job. And uh, my sense is that depending on the year, my pay in the nonprofit field would have been equal to my pay in the for-profit field. Now, some years, the for-profit, specifically the tech sector here in Austin, has mm. just grown so rapidly that anybody in tech is probably at the top salary ranges for their mm. career level. But I have been fortunate to have a career that supports me my son here in austin it's been fantastic but it is you know that the, it's it's still a job <laughs> mm -hmm. even though i know at the end of the day that what i'm doing has a maximum positive impact it's mm -hmm. still a job so there's yeah stresses and as you can imagine during this pandemic that that's a whole level of stress that's just pretty intense yeah, I was wondering how it's affected HCC in projects and just overall. Say it has impacted our organization much like it's impacted organizations across Austin and across the nation. We, mm -hmm. Starting about middle of March, half of us had a kid home from school all of a sudden and mm -hmm. And all of our programming, which we typically do on the trail or out on ranches that we've preserved, we could no longer gather. So mm -hmm. we had to figure out a new way to connect people with nature. Our fundraising became unknown and some of mm -hmm. the philanthropic support stopped. You know, our donors shifted to a more urgent need, of, you know, helping people that were directly 
impacted by the pandemic. But thankfully, we have maintained our entire staff. A lot of organizations I know of have had to do layoffs or furloughs. Mm-hmm. Had to do that yet? We've started offering walk and talks, virtual curated uh, hikes, virtual bird hikes, and oh yeah, I saw uh, those. Yeah, I was looking at your YouTube channel. Yeah. I saw a lot of those. It's a cool idea. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been interesting. You know, I think in the first certainly two or three months of it, it was really energizing. It's like, oh, this is so cool. This is a new and different way to do things that we love to do: connect people mm-hmm. to nature. Um, now, you know, five months later, <laughs> six months later, we're realizing, okay, so now that we figured out how to do this, how can we really make it high quality? Yeah, you really have to be dynamic during this time. Well, and all nonprofits are creative, and now it's everybody's time to be extremely creative. Yeah. Yeah, resilient and optimistic. You know, creative, right. resilient, and optimistic because um, they're. I mean, HCC came into the pandemic pretty strong. We had a lot of momentum that we had gained doing a very large project to help fund the Violet Crown Trail construction. So we had a bit of runway. Uh, We applied for the payroll protection program loan, forgivable loan, and we were to receive that. So that also gave us some additional runway. And, you know, now we're working towards our fundraising campaign for the fall to bring in as much money as possible. So as you know, stay-at-home orders have still allowed people to go outside and exercise. So the Violet Mm -hmm. Crown Trail has seen in the past three months twice the amount of usage that it incurred the same period last year. Oh, wow. Which is to the tune of 10,000 people each month. Wow. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm a part of that. (laughs) I'm a part of that. You are. We love it. One participant. I am... One in that stat. In that stat, yes. You are you are the one that helps yes. the story of the many. And what <laughs> the, kind of bike do you have? I just got, yeah, during one of my impulse buys during the pandemic has been a bike, uh, Pure Cycles. I really like it. They're a company from California, and I assembled it myself, too, and it's still going. Nice. Like, I was like, this is cool. I built this. And I built this and it works. Yeah. Awesome. So, so it's a hybrid bike. Yeah, I definitely have gone through the Violet. Well, you know, uh, Valaway too. That, yeah, I've gone through that area and also by Violet Crown and kind of gone through some bumps and done a little mountain biking. Uh quote-unquote, in Texas. That section of the Violet Crown Trail that connects to the Velloway down south of Slaughter Lane is one of my favorite sections. There's still a portion of the trail that's a very natural surface that's maybe only two to three feet wide that's still pretty bumpy. And then there's a section that's been improved to universal usage standards, meaning it's sometimes 12 feet wide in some area and that the grade is never greater than like uh, six degrees so that if anyone, if you might be in a wheelchair, you're still going to feel comfortable getting out there. And that surface is a really unique surface on the improved universal usage sections. It looks like decomposed granite. It sounds and feels like DG. 
but it's actually a state-of-the-art binder combined with the little organic material so that it can stand flooding and the long-term maintenance costs are quite minimal compared to a standard just decomposed granite trail surface Um, because we're the only organization that's responsible for the long-term maintenance of a public trail we were really thoughtful about upfront installation and construction and materials to help offset the cost long um, yeah, I really, I've learned a lot about trail surfaces lately. In the past <laughs> yeah, three years. yeah. <laughs> is, no, I just, okay. I love how it's a hybrid trail too of nature trails and also through Sunset Valley. I really like the Sunset Valley area too. I love that as well. And, and that is a section where um, the Violet Crown Trail will connect with the Sunset Valley Trail also be able if say you're on a road bike you know you'll be able to get right on the sidewalk we're working with tech and the city of austin and the city of sunset valley um, to expand sidewalk access along mopac just north of william canyon so they'll be it'll be a great way to get from that area all the way to the lake whether you're mountain bike or road bike or just walking there'll be options for everybody so, so as I understand, the Violet Crown Trail is an ongoing project. What are the long-term goals of it? So the long-term goals of VCT, we have completed what we would consider the first half of the trail. Ultimately, <laughs> the trail will extend south of the Wildflower Center, south of Austin, all the way into Hayes County and Buda, where it will make a loop <laughs> on this really, really, really special area. It's technically you and I own because it's owned by the city of Austin purchased with our tax dollars and it is served land purchased by the city of Austin ensured that long-term no development can happen on that land and it is because so much water that hits that specific land very quickly goes through the rocks and into our drinking water of the Edwards aquifer so um, it's a really special area so Violet Crown Trail will extend south of the Wildflower Center for about another 13 miles It'll make a beautiful loop through this water quality land. It will be, uh, actually dogs won't be allowed in that area. The water uh, is so, because it's so sensitive, the land is so sensitive Mm. and it connects so directly to our our drinking water. And then ultimately there are other organizations we collaborate with that are building trails that will connect San Antonio all the way up to Austin. What? I know. Wow, you go on like a backpacking trip between Austin to San Antonio. Yeah, (laughs) camp out. That's awesome. So in fact, if you want to talk to those folks, I can connect you with the Great Springs Project and their Great Springs Project. Yeah, their intention is to connect the Barton Springs with all the different springs along uh, I-5 down south. So yeah, Yeah, we get to keep in mind for sure. Yeah. The other thing with Violet Crown Trail, I mean, we we built it south of basically Brody Lane and Mm -hmm. built it universal usage meaning that whether you're visually impaired or in a wheelchair or um, you're, you're care- you have your stroller or your bike, that it's a trail surface that everybody can enjoy. Mm. And so now what we want to do, of course, after the pandemic, what we want to mm-hmm. do is help connect more people to the trail. So we'll be looking to partner with various school districts and nonprofits that serve typically marginalized youth to help uh, provide a great asset, a huge and beautiful place for those organizations to 
uh, maybe deliver programs or just help encourage their client bases to enjoy the Violet Crown Trail. So we'll be doing some outreach on that. Uh, also, I was reading on your website yesterday and you do more than just the Violet Crown Trail. There's also like the, the conservation easement program and a few more. Could you elaborate yeah. on those conservation easements? I'm really curious about those. I work in utilities, so I hear easements all the time. I deal with them all the time. I never heard of yeah. a conservation easement I, before, though. I looked up easement. I've never heard of that term before. Fun what, fact. You, what did you learn when you looked it up? Well, uh, that, oh, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> Sorry about um, that. <laughs> I mean, but it is one of those words, yeah. right? It's like, I think yeah. you've either heard it or you haven't. And if you have heard it, like there's maybe been a very specific context in which mm -hmm. you've heard it. And so then you hear conservation easement. It's like, well, what is that? I too had never heard of the term before working for Hill Country Conservancy. Imagine over the past three or four years, I have defined it frequently. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I, I never heard the term before I entered the utility industry, and now I'm like, it's in my daily email usage. Yeah. <laughs> like, so then how do you describe, describe easements if someone asks you to define an easement? Uh, it's like a purchased or an agreement a part piece of land across somebody's property uh, where some external organization could work upon it is how I describe it. I don't know if that's a legal definition of it. But and in the case of our utility easements, what we do is that we we buy up an easement and we say, you can't build on this. It's still your property, but you can't build on this. So that way we could be sure that our lines, because I do power lines, our power lines are safely uh, apart from your building or your swimming pool or whatever. That's, uh, that's how we use easements in Austin Energy. So in my mind, it's saying that we can build on, but they can't. And that's and in our case, it's for their protection. But it sounds like in your case, it'd be for the land's protection. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, similar to the utility easement, the owner, the landowner, maintains ownership of the land, but the easement applies to a portion or the totality of their ownership, and basically they relinquish the development rights in perpetuity. So forever and ever, they that no one will ever build on that land. So if somebody else buys the land, it's still there? That's correct. The easement yeah. stays with the land. Correct. And so for, you know, for entering into that agreement, the landowner receives both an cash benefit and long-term tax benefit. So mm -hmm. they, you know, so there is uh, incentive for landowners, although it is certainly not the level of financial windfall that one would receive if they simply sold the land to a developer that was then going to cut it up and put a bunch of houses or parking lots oh, on it. Yeah. And so all of our landowners at their core, at their heart, they are land stewards and they have the interest of the land uh, first and foremost. When we work with a landowner to evaluate whether or not their ranch is a fit for our program, we look mm. at wildlife habitats. We look at native grasses and other native species of trees. We look at water. That's a big part of why we save and protect land. It's ultimately about water quantity and quality. I mentioned mm. we work outside of Travis. We work in the six counties to the northwest that basically align with the Colorado River water basin. And that is, again, that serves your and my water, our drinking water directly. 
we're working with landowners upstream to preserve their ranches. So in perpetuity, forever and ever, no one can build on that land because when it rains, the rain goes through that land and then ultimately we drink it. And so we want that land as undeveloped as possible. And we want to make sure that it still maintains great habitat for certain endangered species of birds or lizards. And then we also want to make sure, um, you know, that there are trees and certain types of grasses that long-term will continue to, to protect the water quality and quantity in that area. So how do you go about assessing the land? So it is a multi-step process and, and the time from initial introduction to a landowner, the completion of a conservation easement can be anywhere from at the shortest three years to at the longest a decade. Uh, so hmm. It is a multi-step, multi-year, multi-million dollar process. And it starts with an introduction, consideration, just of, of the values. If the landowners don't have conservation at their heart, then the immediate tax benefit and the long-term tax benefit is still not going to make it worth it in the long run for them. So they truly have to care about the environment. And so because we're, we're entering into a lifelong agreement. So once there is a real values alignment, then we do what's called a baseline report where environmental scientists go out and they look at all those things I just talked about. What are the wildlife habitat? What are the native species of plants? Uh, where do the different watersheds fall in this area? Is this um, land contributing to a tributary or a creek of some kind or a river in the area? So the baseline report will have multiple layers of consideration. And then we have a kind of like a score, score sheet. And that score sheet is also, it's a part of the NRCS, which is the National uh, Natural Resources Conservation Services program of the United States, the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture. And that is the program through which we receive most of the money for this program. And so they have a set of stated values where they weight certain uh, aspects of the land to determine truly what value it would be worth. Then we go through an appraisal where uh, entities uh, like real estate agents will look at that particular land and determine the cash value. And right now we're sitting at about 18 months worth of paperwork and attorneys working on the process. And then we really get into the deal of saying how much money the landowner could receive through the NRCS program for relinquishing the development rights. And then that can take anywhere from another year to 18 months to really negotiate exactly the money, how it will all work out, what, if any, long-term plans do they have that they want to include in the agreement. For example, we want to add a house for our son in 10 years, et cetera. And then ultimately we'll close just like you would close on your house. We all yeah. sit down at a table and we sign documents for an hour and a half and then we go get a drink and celebrate. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a lot like what I just did, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I didn't know a lot of what appraisal was and I have a whole new vocabulary of terms in my toolkit that I didn't know before. Oh, I'm but... so excited for you. And then we could go on a whole nother tangent about like, why isn't that taught in school? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't know about any of that stuff. It, And then everybody, the realtor and the mortgage person, everybody else knew, but I didn't know. So I had to 
definitely be patient and ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the key and making sure the landowners get to ask a lot of questions because it is, it's an agreement in perpetuity. So we currently at Cool Country Conservancy hold easements. So we hold long-term agreements with about 27 landowners and they represent about 13,000 acres across the hill country. And uh, some of those agreements have been in place for 20 years. But each year we go out, our guy Frank, Davis, our chief conservation officer, will go out and meet with the landowners and walk the land and and take a look at things and make sure nothing has changed. And if it has changed, that it was a part of the original agreement and that the landowner is uh, maintaining the land at the agreed upon level from the original uh, program. Uh, So yeah, but again, given the pandemic, all of that has changed. And so some, some land trusts are looking at utilizing drones and being able to send drones out to take footage of these thousand, you know, thousand acre ranches just to look at how are the invasive species, is the landowner keeping the invasive species at bay, how's the water flow, has it dried up, is it still flowing, so we're having to get really creative. We haven't started using drone footage yet, but we may very well sometime next year, just depending on how things go. I wonder what kind of invasive species do we have in Texas? Oh, invasive species. So typically I'm referring to a, a, a type of vegetation and you can win a bar bet this way because most people believe that cedar, that's the type of, you know, it's a type of tree and people call it cedar. They believe it's an invasive species. Now it is actually a native species, but it's a very fast growing native species. And the name of that, the proper name of that type of tree is called a juniper ash, A-S-H-E, named for the man that discovered it. So juniper ash are technically considered native, but they're fast growing. Um, But if anybody asks you if cedar is an invasive species, the correct answer is no. Uh, And then other invasive species include a certain type of cactus. So the thing about the cactus is it has a very shallow root system. And then, so uh, it doesn't really help with erosion because the roots are very shallow. Whereas there are these types of grasses, it's called the mulhaney grass. And again, that's the name of the gentleman that found it uh, or Mm -hmm. discovered it. And they have very, very, very deep roots. And so those roots hold on to the soil and keep the soil in place. And again, the more soil, the better, because that's what our water is going through to become purified on its way to our drinking system. So the more soil and the more time that water can move through our earth into our drinking water, the better. I'm curious about uh, with all the land development here in Texas, especially like in where I grew up in Frisco, Texas, where they went from being a small farm town when I was born there to a sprawling suburb. How is the Texas legislature doing anything to protect this land? Because it's very precious for our environment. And I saw on your website, you have a, have a really good video about the uh, growing suburbs and how they're affecting their ranching property in, uh, in central Texas. And I'm just wondering if, like, if there's like any legislation protection for this land or if it's all Thanks to wonderful volunteers like yourself and uh, the Violet, or not Violet Crown Trail, the Hill Country Conservancy. Uh, well, Texas is unique. 
Uh, Texas is 95% privately owned, whereas other states wow. like Colorado, California, a large portion of the state is publicly owned by the federal government or the state or the county or a city, in which case policy could definitely apply and further protect those lands. But here in Texas, you know, we are a landowner state. You know, we... Our, our landowners like their land and they, they like to be able to do what they want with their land. And so there has been a real resistance for any overarching policy that might infringe upon ownership rights. So that's why we work directly with landowners. And I've seen actually as uh, there's sort of generational shift occurring where uh, the landowners right now who are making the decisions for the family land oftentimes are women. They are oftentimes considering the long-term health of their family and the entire community. And, and so they're very open to having these conversations about how to put an easement in place and ensure the long-term preservation of those natural resources. We do now, we work very closely with many levels of government, city, county, state, and federal, uh, because there are many different programs in place that help funnel funding uh, resources through to those landowners, both for the original and also for long-term land management. Right now, in fact, we're doing a project called the Regional Conservation Partnership Program, where we secured about $5 million from the federal government to help landowners with large-scale land management practices. So perhaps that is doing a controlled burn to help eliminate some of the invasive species cacti on their ranch or perhaps they need to put in a certain type of fencing to keep the deer out so that their native Mulhaney grasses can actually grow mm -hmm. to the level they need to grow before they get chewed on by some deer. So we do work very closely mm -hmm. with various levels of government to ensure that funding comes down to our state and to those private landowners to help them ultimately help us. Because again, the more land they protect, the better our water quality, the better our beautiful views vistas across the hill country and the cleaner for all of us so it sounds like there could be some long-term effects of all the development on just the native wildlife around up and also the water I didn't, I didn't think about the water but that makes a lot of sense yeah it's all about like the, water. the more pollution there is from these developments the worse it gets and the harder it is to filter yeah. it becomes more expensive yeah. and then yeah. also i mean all of that development equals more people and so more people into the same water source. I mean, it's all about the water, guys. 50 years from now, it's going to be all about clean water. And so we love yeah. development, though, right? Like, that is what keeps our region prosperous. And our region is active. And guess what? Austin's population has doubled, on average, about every 20 years for more than 100 years. So guess what? Austin's growing. That's not going to change. So yep. Exponential growth is happening right. here. How can we all work together to both encourage and embrace the growth of our region, but at the same time ensure the long-term sustainability through protection of natural resources? There was a there was a thing I saw on your website. It was in the land over the landowner spotlight section, yeah. where there's a line I liked a lot, which uh, is that we're the the quote I found was that we're loving the hill country to death. And I feel like that's a very apt description because it's a great city. It's a great area. 
like I grew up in Dallas and I always wanted to move to Austin since uh, Dallas just felt so, so, so urbanized and kind of boring that way. No offense to all Dallasites listening to this, but I, I wanted to go to Austin because like it had a, a great downtown trail. Uh, it felt very green for being such an urban area and it would be terrible to see it all go away yeah. because people like me want to move here and we should preserve it for yeah, everybody. It would be a very different place. Well, so what's so interesting, Kyle, is many of those probably big open spaces or beautiful trails throughout downtown or different parts of Austin, and those exist today because policy and elections more than 20 years ago to pass the bonds to give the city and the county the funding to secure that land. Again, because so much land is privately owned, we need to support our cities and our counties by voting yes on bond elections so that then they can get the, enough money to secure that land. So that's all a part of me saying that sometime next week, the Austin City Council will be deciding about a bond election happening this fall. And part of it is around mobility and doing you know a bunch of different things with transportation. But then another mobility is around what we call active transportation. So that's trails. That's the ability to bike, run, and walk across this great urban area. And so there'll be some huge number potentially on the ballot, like $750 million to secure space for active transportation. And so when that lands on the ballot and you have an opportunity to vote, vote yes, because a vote yes today will mean in 20 or 40 years, these trails, there'll be even more of them. And it, it will be even safer to ride a bike or to run around Austin. And again, the things that we get to experience today are because people passed bonds in the 90s. So the city secure, you know, we all walk around yeah. a lake on a trail and we just think, oh, it was always this way. <laughs> there was a lake and then there was a private landowner <laughs> next to the lake. Ultimately, the city came in and secured these different parcels, or in some cases, very generous people donated. Um, the city of Austin has a counter on each of the different city trails, and Violet Crown Trail is the eighth most used. So out of 25, 30 different urban trails, Violet Crown Trail is in the top 10. And as you can imagine, the top three are portions of the Butler Trail. Yeah, I used to go for a run downtown every Sunday for... The full 10 miles. Oh, if I good could. for you. Uh, it's such a yeah, great trail. Yeah, sometime you'll have to head south <laughs> and, and explore the Crown Trail. And, and Charlie, next time you're on it, yeah. like just imagine, you know, that particular mm -hmm. trail and that particular route, it wasn't always there. I, Butch Smith, who's built trails in Austin for 30 years, he's walked that land before there was a trail there and kind of looked at the trees and looked at the water and said, okay, right. I think we should move the trail this way and then have it go this way. And all of that. That's what I love the most about Violet Crown Trail is walking on it today. A person would think that trail has always been there. This trail yeah. has always been here. It just looks like it was birthed out of the earth. But in fact, it took a lot of design and a lot of engineers wow. and about 15 years <laughs> working with the and the different jurisdictions, TxDOT, Sunset Valley, different departments within the city, Parks and Rec, uh, Public Works, for everybody to come to connect all the different sections of trails, build mm -hmm. it, 
And now it yeah. does flow as if it was always there. I just want to say what? to you guys, like, what a pleasure it is to talk to people who have lived in Austin for maybe five or fewer years that have found out about Hill Country Conservancy. It really, it makes my heart sing because as a longtime Austinite, I mean, I've been engaged in this conversation about how do we protect our natural resources in spite of and in light of the constant development and growth of our region. So it's really meaningful for me when people who are attracted to the environmental aspects of Austin move here and then get tapped into a group like ours, a group that's invested in protecting the natural resources that really attracted you to come here. So welcome to Austin. I know you've been here for like four or five years, but I'm so glad you're you're investing (laughs) in conversations like this one. Yeah, we we've been trying to do some environmental ones. We did tree people a while ago. We also did or tree folks, not tree people. Yeah. We did tree folks. Uh, we also yeah, did uh, Austin did. Park Foundation. Yeah, I think it, it was Colin Wallace. We. Yeah. I think so. The name sounds very familiar. Yeah. Super great guy. I'm looking through our list of episodes right now. We did, we've spoken to so many people. <laughs> it's hard to. I bet. I bet it's hard. And so then now I I know we're coming up on an hour, so you're going to ask me the superhero. And so then what are (laughs) y'all's? I mean, I'm sure I would know already if I listened to the podcast regularly, but how do y'all answer that question? Um, I think I would be... Uh, We never know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you, HCC. If HCC (laughs) were a superhero, Oh, yeah. Our magical power, our superpower, would be to heal people. Oh yeah. I think a superhero oh, might amazing. be Mother Nature. In fact, I do believe that's a great is one. a superhero, and that she has a superpower and it's healing. And there is data that backs it up that exposure to nature, even if through a screen mm. or through a window, exposure to nature oh, helps improve yeah. long-term mental and physical well-being. Like a quick walk outside, it could like relieve stress yeah. so much. Yeah. yeah. Like we have like we have a lot of old trees in our neighborhood, and it just it's great just to like walk by them. Like, oh, that's a nice tree. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. I think if <laughs> I think if we were a superhero, this is like the first time we've ever had our guests ask us the question before we asked them. <laughs> uh, it, I would say something like uh, somebody who is a great communicator and like uh, like community-oriented man or something like that, somebody who could, uh, who can really uh, inspire people through rhetoric and also Empathy. Uh, show, shine the spotlight on the heroes, like, yeah. kind of like, like, not necessarily like the leader of the Justice League, but the guy who organizes the Justice League is what mm-hmm. we'd be, where we would be like, let's get you together and you together and you together, okay, let's solve this problem together and make the city of Austin a better place. To learn more about the Hill Country Conservancy, check out hillcountryconservancy.org. And if you're planning on hiking the Violet Crown Trail, we get to check out their website, violetcrowntrail.com, and learn more all about the project and the glorious 30 miles that they plan on constructing. Oh yeah. Are you an Austinite looking for a cause to support? Then you've come to the right place. Be sure to check out our website at everydaysuperhumans.show to learn more about the many great causes you can be a part of right here in the capital city of Texas. You can also follow us on Twitter at SuperhumansCast, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydaysuperhumans, and check out our Instagram at everydaysuperhumans. If you like what you heard today, feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and support the show by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And remember, not every hero has to fly, so grab your cape and let's go! We're both very chatty people. It makes these intros very hard to record in a very short amount of time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't even thinking about time. <laughs> Charlie will fix us in the edits. Maybe in the blooper <laughs> section. <laughs> How long have we been going? I I don't have the recording minutes. Do you not see it on Zencaster? Seven minutes and two seconds? Well, but we did have like, I the do, flood about the beginning. I was looking at my notes. Oh, I so see. I didn't <laughs> I was cheating. Yep. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're good too.